Bringing the noise, it ain't a choice I just follow the voices My mind is a void, and I couldn't avoid it I may be a sinner, so right up I kill When you see me, you see one or two faces Be a little more gracious I fuck with the haters, I fuck with the skaters I got it in paper, I'ma tell y'all secret what is going on people? This is the Talking Bear Ball Podcast. I am Matt and I am joined today by a very, very special guest. The one and only Olympic, Olympian, basketball, British legend, BJJ practitioner, Drew Sullivan. What's going on, man? Hey, how you doing? Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Hey, thank you for joining me. I was uh-huh. obviously doing loads of research and I've was see you went at only 16 to america to move to new jersey i believe it was if i look in the right places what was i yeah. what was that like at only uh, 16 yeah i mean when i went out there it was very very much nerve-wracking um uh there was a couple of instances during my first year and my second year out there that i desperately wanted to come back home um and uh, my coach, who was alive then, Joe White, he was the one who convinced me to stay out there. Yeah. But uh, you know, it was it, it, it was it wasn't easy being out there by myself, away from my family, my friends, and everything that I knew. But um, I made it through. By the time I graduated um, in in high school, which was three years later from when I first moved out, I kind of settled in. And then uh, once I got to university, I didn't have any problems. Yeah, because then you went to Villanova. Yes. Which... Yes. That's pretty- I don't know whether it was as big as an NCAA basketball or program back then as it is now, but what was that like going to Villanova? What made you decide to go to Villanova first off? Uh, one, of the big, one of the biggest reasons was the location. Um, Villanova was very close to where I was living in, in New Jersey, um, maybe like 45 minutes an hour drive from South Jersey to um, the main line in, in, in Pennsylvania. Um, and with me moving so far across the ocean, um, I didn't really want to move anywhere far from the people that I knew in, in uh, America then. So Villanova was one of the, one of the schools that I was looking at and uh, it ultimately became the, uh, the place where I wanted to go and play. So what was that like playing against? Because you were sort of in the same sort of class in the draft classes, sort of Melo, guys like that, LeBron. I mean, obviously LeBron didn't go to college, but like Melo, like... No, I was... I'm quite a bit older than those guys. Um, like, I think, I'm trying to think of who would have been the year that I... Because you played with um, Alan Ray, was it? Yeah, yeah. Alan yeah, Ray. Now the senior and freshman. Yeah. So, so... Um, I think I may have been the year, the same year as Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Maybe you know, if he if he had gone to high, if he had gone to university and stuff, I, I think it was that, that same year. Um, maybe the year after. I'm not 100 percent sure. Because you play, also played under the same coach as still at Villanova now. Yeah, I played the last two years for Coach Wright. Yeah. So my first years was with um, Steve Lapis. Um, then he left after my sophomore year to go to UMass, and then Coach Wright came in um, beginning of well, the end of my sophomore year, or some some of my junior going into my junior year, and um, I played for him for years. So, what was the whole experience like playing NCAA? Because obviously, 
from living in the UK, watching like Ma- March Madness stuff like that, it looks exciting, looks cool, and it's very big in America, like their NCAA, their college basketball. What was that yeah. whole experience from playing in the UK, growing up playing in the UK, to playing NCAA basketball? I mean, it's playing over here. Um, you know, when I was sitting on sitting on the London Towers bench and playing, playing or practicing and playing with the men. Uh, you know, it's just a complete different world. Um, you know, you, you basically got treated like a professional apart from, you know, basically for the most part, it was just, you were paid like room and board and tuition. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of like being taken care of, the way we, the way we traveled at times, you know, getting charged flights if we were playing against something like, you know, um, uh, in Virginia Tech or Providence. So we can go up there the night before, get a charter flight the night before, practice, play the game, and get the charter flight straight back after the game to get back to, to campus so we were able to go to class the next morning. So, I mean, I had a, for the most part, I had a very good experience. So, so and then when you left in 2003, you came over, you went over to Holland and signed for the Eiffel Tower. Is that Eiffel Towers, how you say it? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, they confused me because at first when I saw Eiffel Towers... But what, yeah, was, yeah. what was that like? Because did you... I can't, couldn't remember seeing whether you entered the draft or not, or... I didn't enter the draft. So you the thought of... What made you decide, first of all, not to even... Because when you... I think I read, you ranked top 50 in your... Was, yeah. At yeah, one was, point. Uh, well, there's so much to happen over the course of uh, uh, the four years. I mean, I just didn't think that... It, it, it was even worth it, um, I, and I, I think I had a full, a honest appreciation or honest outlook on where my level was, and it wasn't a, um, it it wasn't a, a, a NBA draft level, you know. So my my thing was to start pursuing uh, or start looking at teams in Europe before, like straight away. Yeah. Um, I had a my agent that I hooked up with. Um, once I, once I finished my senior year, I, I explained to him, you know, this is what I want to do. I would like to play, play in Europe, you know, and he started looking for a team straight away. Because also, back in 2003, European basketball was very different to what it is now. I mean, you've got guys like Luka Dantovic and guys are coming over from Europe now, or you've even got guys like from going from high school to Europe now. So it was a very different place. Like, what was that like back then? I think uh, I knew... The skill level, I mean, the, the skill level even back then was still extremely high. You know, there was a lot of guys that I uh, that I played against who were, who could have probably played in the NBA, but they were at a good situation where they where they not comfortable, not, not they were comfortable, but financially they were secure. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe been like three or four years contracts at particular places and stuff like that. So, um, but. You know, I feel like the, the the skill level in Europe was was as just as high as what it is now. Because you've because you played for in total six countries, including here in the UK, in six countries. I say sorry, because you played in places like Cyprus, obviously Holland, Russia, Spain. What was that like back in then playing in Russia? Of what we see in the media and what footballers are given, what was it like in terms of being a black man in Russia? Not like uh, politically, but just that whole stereotypical thing of being a black man in Russia. To be honest with you, um, I, I, 
It's Bosnara. Um, probably not one, not one of the biggest cities, but obviously Russia's massive. Yeah. So it's still, like you know, a, a fair number of people who live in the city. But like, I think I only really experienced that one a game. Um, uh, we had a, a game away. I prefer not to say where it was, but um, you know, that was the one instance um, that I kind of experienced it. Um, there was like the, the fans were chanting something. I didn't obviously it was Russian. I didn't know what yeah. they were saying. And I had to walk out on the court. One of my teammates kind of like stopped me. Uh, so it was like looking around, like what's going on? And he explained to me what they were saying and stuff like that. And I was just like, oh. but like just in the day to day in the in the city that I lived in, I never experienced anything like that. So I mean, was I was I lucky? You know, that maybe there was uh, you know a little bit of luck. I was maybe I was, I was fortunate for where I was, but. Um, to be honest with you, like when I tell people, it's like probably one of my favorite places to play. Because uh, obviously, a place like Spain and Cyprus, like where would you say one of like the best countries in Europe that you you played in was to play in? Um, definitely in, uh, in the ACB. I mean, you know. It, it, but the team that I played on as well was in the Euroleague, so we played a lot of high-level games where we travelled uh, in, uh, in and around Europe against some of the other best, best teams going. So um, I think Spain was probably by far the highest level that I had played played outside of like playing internationally. Yeah, because I, I wasn't even aware there was a British basketball league until sort of the Olympics was coming up. I never even knew it existed because obviously you come here after Holland and you went to Newcastle, I believe it was, and yeah. you played for like teams like Mersey and you played for Leicester, obviously. You're a legend, Leicester legend. And you played for, obviously, your home club of London. But yeah. what was that whole experience like? Sort of being, I would say, one of the, I would say, personally, one of the pioneers of the British basketball game. To be honest with you, I, I just enjoy going out and competing. I didn't really think about uh, think about things from that point of view. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose I think about it maybe a little bit more now. But um, for me, when I was playing, it was just purely to compete and to test myself. And uh, you know, it, it was even more. It, it wasn't even so much about necessarily beating the person that I was playing against it was more like how much how much more can I get out of myself in, in like in uh, in heated situations in in crunch time you know do, you know did I make the right play how many times did I make the, the right play did I make a mistake on the fire okay I need to correct that so um, for me it was that's that's what I kind of spent most of my time uh, thinking about but but that being said, it was, you know, in 2006, I believe it was, um, when I got the call about put, they, were, they were putting together a GB team for the Olympics, you know, that was something that I wanted to be a part of because um, I had already represented England before at the Commonwealth Games early on in that year. Yeah, because you got bronze in that Commonwealth Games as well, I believe it was. Yeah, what, yeah. was what was their whole experience? Obviously, Olympics is considered bigger than the Commonwealth Games, but... What was it like to win a medal at the Commonwealth Games? That was fantastic. For me, that was like, you know, that's the only time that I've ever won a medal. Um, as well, I need to have seen senior level um, internationally with, uh, with, with, with my country. So to be able to go over there, play against like some really, really good competition, um, you know, I mean, it wasn't, we didn't have it all our, our way. We played against the, 
And I think in our group we had New Zealand, which was really, really well put together team. Um, and then we had a couple of other teams from there. We had the, our first game, I think we had lots to do like travel and stuff. We struggled a little bit against Jamaica. They put together a very good team. And, you know, we had, to, we had to cut it out at the end. And um, then we ended up playing in the, in the uh, semi-finals. I'm sorry, in the, in the, in the court, court semi-finals against Australia. We lost to them. And then we played for the, for the tournament against Nigeria, I believe it was. So then, obviously, a few years later, you're captain of the GB team at the Olympics. And from what I could see, because I was just finishing school back then, you were one of the main sort of British Olympians being put on all the posters. And what was that like, being sort of at the forefront of the Olympics and of the captain of the British basketball team? Uh, it was a huge... Well, uh, no, I think... Uh, I, I think I played for GB for roughly about 10 years and um, every game that I played, um, some, I'm sure someone, some history buff would come out and probably prove me wrong, <laughs> but you know, every game that I I I had my score sheet, I was the captain, so, <laughs> uh, so that, was, that's, that was pretty cool. Um, uh, I mean, like, I don't, I think one, one thing that benefited me from um, what you just said, mentioned about being one of the people from basketball that was kind of pushed to the front, thrust to the front, was that I was in country as well. I think that helped, that helped my profile, was the fact that I was here uh, um, and I was playing well, playing at a high level over here. And then obviously I was had been on the, the GB team for a number of years up until that point. So, uh, you know, like you say, everything's like about timing and place. I was lucky enough to be in the right time. Yeah, because it also two thousand twelve teams have evolved and they've gotten better and players have got better. So obviously we didn't medal, we didn't medal, GB didn't medal, but you played some high level competition even at the Olympics. What was? Yeah. What would you say personally was your best game or your favorite game or opponent? Uh, I know that's a tough question. <laughs> Uh, you know, we played against like I mean at that time we had we had very 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 strong uh, um, GB team. Uh, you know, we had some guys who were playing in in the NBA. We had uh, Luol Deng, Pops Mr. Pons, who been in and out of the NBA. Bob Archer also played a, a little bit in the NBA. I was playing at a high level. Uh, uh, Joe Freeland, you know, Dan Clark was still still baby then. Uh, Andrew Collins. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, like, we had so many good guys, they uh, rank it, so many guys with a lot of experience, and we tend to, we had, we tend to push Spain really, really tight, and uh, that game we played against them, we lost, we, we lost to death, like, I think, just by about three or four, uh, but we actually, that game, we actually played our hearts out, we came up short, which, which was quite wretched, but I think that was probably one of the most games that we played at the Olympics. So, and then after the Olympics, obviously you carried on playing for a few more years, and you're like a multiple-time MVP as well, league MVP, two-time league MVP. Is it? A f- I'm sorry if I'm wrong. A three-time finals MVP. This is good as bad. <laughs> See, you're you're a very humble man. Then you don't you're not concerned about the medals and the 
And you've also won over, like, what is it, 20 silverware? Like, 20 yeah. titles? Like, yeah. for me, it's all about the win. Like, like the, the medal is, 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 is a nice gesture. It symbolises that. But for me, when I was playing, um, after we won whatever we won, um, it was kind of like, all right, now I'd like to have that evening to, to celebrate it and then it's on to the next one. You know, I think that's one of the things that kept kept me hungry and very competitive. It was all right, you know, I want to win this. What, what's, what's the next thing that we can win? All right, we can do with this. All right, folks, can you play your heart out? Try and win it. Win? Great. Now it's now celebrate for the moment and let's move on. Because the Outside of the player, outside of the player, um, cup in the trophy and the league, and those, you know, when you finish the, the trophy final and you have the, you have to almost prepare yourself to play games in the league, uh, or you have your cup game, or play cup games, get, if you go to the final for that, then it's time to concentrate on the league. So, during the season, there's not a whole lot of time to to over over celebrate, you know, because it could cost you. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, that was, like I said, one of the things that kept me hungry is why once the next, once the next one, once the next one. So what what would you make? Because I personally, I think the basketball British basketball league has grown in stature. Obviously, it's not sort of at Euro League level in Europe, but it seems to be getting bigger. And obviously, with the All Star Games and stuff like that now. What would you personally, having played in that league for so long and being one of the pioneers of British basketball, what would you make of the current British basketball scene as a whole? Um, I, from my, I didn't, I didn't a huge amount of games last year, but I kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, there's still like, there's always going to be a huge amount of talent in the league. You know, um, now we're seeing a few more of our beautiful. British players coming back, which is only going to help the profile. You know, it's, it's and it gives it gives the league more homegrown talent to to help try and build a profile of the league and try and build a profile of uh, those players. Which I think, if you're going to have a, a league that's it's, it's, you know they beat possible you want to be able to push British athletes at yeah. the forefront. I think, it, I think that helps, helps, I think helps the market. I think it helps get people in a bump to the seat because, like, you know, nothing against um, people who come in who, who are imports, but a lot, like, a lot of young people, even though they might be saying that they're this person or that person is their favourite player, it's hard for them to connect with those people because they're not from the same places that they're from or, or they're not from the same culture or same backgrounds. Yeah, because even, like, even during the Olympics, it's like, with kids, it seems to be basketball grew a little bit in England and in the UK as a whole. And then after the Olympics, it seemed to sort of, from where I live here in Southampton, it seems to sort of, kids sort of stopped playing. And mm. it was less, there was like, it was harder to find teams to play for, yeah. personally. I think one of the biggest things, or one of the biggest things that were asked, it was just like, what? It is the legacy. Um, you know that a lot of people were asking that question. Um, I mean, and it's hard as something, like, you know. And that's not just basketball. That was a lot of sports parts in that. Because that was the, the, the thing that 
kind of that was a driving Olympics legacy, legacy, legacy. Uh, and then the Olympics, like, there's a lot of lots of, of different sports looking around after the bus up themselves and said to themselves, "All right, we had this amazing, well, what's essentially an amazing party yeah. for, for two, three weeks, but you know, but now now it's not enough. Like what? That's, you know? Yeah. So. Like, and then you obviously, towards the end of your career, you started jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. What, yes. made, what was the decision to sort of try jiu-jitsu? Because it seems like a complete left turn for basketball. Um, <laughs> I guess first tried it, first tried it in uh, 20, 2010. Yeah, 2010, that was the first time. And that was because like, in the, like during the summers, I kind of wanted to take a break away from basketball. To, to kind of rest my control from like the repetitive like shooting or running or jumping or whatever. I kind of did a little bit of boxing just to for the cardio and stuff. And then one of my friends was like, hey, you know, we can come and do some, some grappling. So, like, you know, I wasn't quite sure on it. Um, he eventually talked me, talked me around. Uh, I started training. I really enjoyed it. Uh, then I joined the club in the North East and I was training there for probably like a couple of years or so. And then um, obviously getting preparation for the Olympics, I kind of like from that. Uh, I didn't train quite well. Um, it was maybe 2000, 2013, 14. I think I started, I started uh, when I moved down to the Lions, started training again. And now I just keep on going. Because you've even opened your own gym, is that your Brazilian Jiu Jitsu gym? Yeah, I've got, like, what I train under, you know, like, probably could be the big grappling, um, uh, Roger Grayson. Um, I was train, training with him in London, and then when I moved back to Leicester, he and I had a, a chat with one of my other instructors, uh, about. A club up in Leicester, so yeah, I thought it was like a great idea because it gave me opportunity to, to to train with other people, kind of get help them build their level, and also get me allow me to train because I couldn't get down to London as much as I would like. So I, I ended up doing that, and um, funny enough, yesterday we just moved into our, our own our own uh, sport specific uh, um, gym. So so now we are full fledged academy. So you're at, growing extremely quick then, really. Yeah, I mean it's been three years since I um, since I started teaching. Yeah, three, yeah, three and a half years. Or, um, and the club, the club's grown a lot to the point where we didn't need our old space. So what is that experience like? Because I've never trained jiu so I've never even competed, so I'm not even going to pretend I know what it's like. But what is? Because you've even competed. What is that experience like? Going from a basketball mind to now I'm competing in jiu-jitsu two completely different sports yeah I mean pretty much all my life all the sports that I played or competed were team sports so this is like a far cry from um, from that whereas you even though I am support as I, I am representing my team and I always have like what my coaches there and they're on the side but on the field of play, so to speak, it's just myself versus this guy, um, and it's it's a nice feeling, you know. Whether you know whether you, whether you win or whether you lose, it's you know you kind of have 
kind of have to look at yourself and say, right, I made this mistake, or I made that mistake, or sometimes the person is is just better than you, or you might go out there and you just just you know doing everything right, you know, you just being in like this state of like absolute flow, and you just everything seems like working for you. So, um, you know, I still get nervous. Like the same way when I by the time I retired playing basketball. I was still nervous for my games, um, but that, this is kind of like a different nerves, you know. Uh, but but both of them were good, and I think both sets of nerves helped get helped me through get the best out of myself. So you've always had that competitive mindset of just wanting to improve yourself, wanting to prove you can do sports. You still keep up with people, and you can maybe be better yeah, than the next person. Just be yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's one of the things is like I go out and do jujitsu. It's it's such a technical, complex martial arts. It's 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 like golf. It's not necessarily about being better than the next man. It's about almost be. It's trying like self improvement, but like you know, trying to be better than what you were last class, or you know, one percent better, and then obviously. From competing standpoint, yeah, obviously, you know, it, it, there is a lot about being better than the other person. But you know, you you could you can go out and have a have a, do a competition and like you you lose on like a technicality or what have you, or someone does something in, in the fight, and and you know you find yourself in a bad position and 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 you lose by like you know a couple of points like that. So. Uh, um, you know, I don't. Again, I don't really worry too much about being better than this person or being better than, than that person. Is I go in, I train to to try and improve myself, and and then obviously I, I teach to try and improve uh, the level of the guys that I work with. So, what made you decide to sort of start teaching jujitsu instead of like going the route of some other like former basketball players and becoming a head coach or becoming a, like a GM or something like that? Um. Because we've seen it, we see it with Pops Mensa Ponzi. He's just become he's GM now of the yeah. um, Capital Go Go's, which I still find funny to yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people are cut out for it. Some just like sometimes it's like a draw. Um, me, I feel I, I feel as though like especially being being here in, in Britain, it would have been like there's so many people going for so few jobs over here. Um, you know, like coaching jobs and stuff like that, and like I didn't, I didn't think that I would wanted to start off like coaching like an under fifteen level, or under you know under seventeen. Well, that's not something that I, I thought I really wanted to do. Um, and then obviously just this this jujitsu um, situation came up. Like I said I spoke to my, uh, two of my coaches, Roger and the Junior. Um, they thought that it would be a good idea to start an affiliate under under uh, Roger Basie Academy. And then um, I was still playing at the time, so a lot a lot of people in Leicester started coming along to my classes because they knew me from a basketball step. Um, and then eventually it grew and grew and grew. And when I was by the time I was tired, I was able to to do that. Um, not it's not you know, I'm still not able to do it full time, but that's something that I'm I'm like working towards. Um, and then uh, but then I also work I work in a pupil referral unit as well. So which is which is really really good and, and uh, you know satisfying. So what is it like sort of for you on a personal level, being uh, one of the instructors of jiu-jitsu and 
teaching like kids, and obviously not just kids. I see you teaching your kids as well, your kids, which are, is is that must be cool for you on a personal note, on a personal level, being able to share that experience with your daughters and your son. Yeah, yeah, it's for me. It's amazing to be able to do that. Um, you know, I have I have a lot of fun doing it with her. Uh, you know, they they they're like little sponges, and they want to learn. They want to learn more. They want to learn more. They, you know, my daughters like they they're very very inquisitive. Of like, well, if I do this, then what will be the next move or what will be the next step? You know, so that's been you know, that's been you know amazing for me as a dad to be able to share that with them. Because I see, I can't remember when it was, but I see uh, on your Instagram, you taking a seminar with your daughter. So uh, being able to do that sort of stuff seems really cool as a dad. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes she will stay for the adults class and just help help me show techniques because I've done some stuff with her before and I'm like, right, we're going to... This, remember when we did this? Okay, we're gonna show the adult class. All right, you're gonna uh, you're gonna show the technique because I know I have enough confidence in her and her ability. Um, but then, like in the, in the kids class, sometimes I use both my, my daughters to demonstrate the techniques. I use the um, demonstrating it on each other. So it's 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 good. I'm, I mean, I'm super proud of them. You know, they 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 are, they do have other interests outside of jiu-jitsu, but like they do like jiu-jitsu a lot. Um, and if there's ever like a, a conflict where something outside of jiu-jitsu has uh, come up, I always kind of make it pre- uh, priority because I don't want to push them or make them feel pressure to have to do jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But for this moment in time, that should just purely be fun for them. That's very cool because like no one's ever sort of just nudging going, Drew, why, why don't you try this MMA? Like, because you see it a lot with ex-sports stars, like with James Haskell recently. You see him just on yeah. Bellator and other like, former rugby players, even basketball players, trying out. There's yeah. no one ever sort of gone, hey, you've tried jiu-jitsu, why don't you stand up, try stand up? And... I've had a lot of people ask me, but it's not my company. Like, I, I like the grappling and I like, I like jiu-jitsu. I like, I mean, I, I, I especially like doing, doing jiu-jitsu in the gi. Um, but, like, I, I mean, I had a couple of people say to me, oh, you, why don't you try and I was just like, no, it's just not for me. <laughs> Don't fancy getting punched in the face. <laughs> no, but so, if you had some your career up as like a basketball player and sort of, what would be your highlight? As would it be hundred caps for Great Britain or playing the Olympics? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know, hundred caps for Great Britain uh, would be would would be up there. Um, you know, one A, one B, and then obviously representing my my country and getting that to do that that walk at the Olympic Stadium. Uh, that you know, those two are very very close. You know, from a sporting standpoint. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I I can't choose between them. <laughs> I know I'm asking too difficult a question, <laughs> but it it was cool, like growing up and seeing as a British kid. Seeing there are obviously I knew about guys like Luau Dang in the NBA, but then you see guys like Parks. But then to see a guy like you, who actually isn't in the NBA, but he's still at the forefront of British basketball, was very cool growing up. Is uh, would you say you get sort of kids come up to you and like kids my age, like in their mid twenties now, going, you were one of their inspirations. For, like kids that are now maybe playing for the Leicester Riders and playing the BBL. At you were an influence for them. Yeah, it, it happens every once. 
start kind of, kind of embarrassed. <laughs> uh, you know, I've had a, I've met a few people message and say, you know, like I, there was a, a student at a school that I went to, and they didn't have a basketball program. And I spoke to this this, this particular student and um, about maybe starting something or what have you. And then they went on to to form a basketball club at their school. And then when they went when they finished school, they did the same thing at, at university. And and they messaged me, um, you know, well, this is like a couple a couple of years ago, and said, you know, thank you, you gave me like a lot of. Uh, courage to start something uh, that now their school has continued and now they, they had like intramurals kind of like competitions at the university that they went to so so it's like hearing messages like that and stories like that you know it's really really cool I, like personally I find it really cool I find it cool because I obviously you see these players and the athletes we as fans we put you sort of guys on a pedestal and we don't we don't see you as okay. We'll reach out to them, but maybe they just they're on this pedestal. There's no way they're going to talk to us. But to know a guy like you, who's I would personally say I don't know if you consider yourself, but and you're probably too humble to consider yourself a British basketball legend. But <laughs> see from that smile, I can tell you you're too humble to even say that. But personally, I would. But it's very cool that you interact with your fans. Because you don't see yeah, it a lot nowadays. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll you a funny story. We were playing for, for Leicester, um, and it was, it was at Milton Keynes. And um, after the game, I mean, I can't remember if I had, like, a, I, I don't think I had a particularly bad game or whatever. I think it was just an average game. And one of the fans, um, like, really kind of, like, was cutting into me after the game or what have you. And and then I just replied to him like, listen, I appreciate I appreciate your honesty or my performance. You know, my goal was to try and be better. And this is like one of Milton Keynes fans, or what have you. And then you know, from that interaction with him, you know, we've been friends for since then. You know, we've been actually, we've actually <laughs> you know, seen him at other games, and he's like, you know, how how are you doing? So uh, you know, there was something to something to be said for. Being just you know try and be friendly. If someone's if someone's got an issue, just ask them what it is, and if they could if they could sound it out without you know being like overly critical, or if they can explain it. Because obviously, sometimes when you put out a tweet, you you know especially back in the days where it didn't have the yeah. extra characters, it just comes. Sometimes if you're doing it wrong, it can come across angry. So I was asked the person, I'm like, well, you know, do you mind like like elaborating on you know how you feel? And, and then we hashed it out, and then we were friends. So, <laughs> but you, you are a very humble man, and you are a humble. Oh, you're a humble father. You're a humble basketball player. You're a humble jujitsu guy. You're just a humble guy all around, which is very refreshing, very cool to see. It. I've had a really fun time chatting to you. This has been great on a personal level, speaking to <sighs> a guy I've looked up to since I was like, probably in like my early teens. To look, talk to a guy like you on a personal level is amazing. And what what are your plans for the future then with jiu-jitsu? Uh, 
continue building building a club. Uh, you know, I had I've got a few of my students that want to start taking a step up to do like bigger competitions like the Europeans and stuff like that. Um, so you know the hope is to try and um, try and help them achieve some of their goals. Uh, I, know, I know one of my students in particular. He, he he approached me about doing the Europeans in uh, in next year in January. So. My job is to try and prepare him to uh, prepare him for now, or like slowly, slowly, but like you know, by uh, end of October, November, start like really kind of pushing him. So, like, I think one of the things that I would love for for the club is to 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 be bringing in like those kind of uh, or my students competing in those kind of kind of competitions and, and uh, being successful. So, that, I think that's that's where a lot of my my energy and my attention is going to at the moment. So is that something you'd consider as well as competing at a sort of a higher level and continuing to progress? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I want to compete. I mean, the hope is that I'll be up to do the Europeans um, next year as well in uh, in Lisbon, and then I, I one of the things that I've always said that I would like to do is do the Worlds in in, in uh, Vegas. So, um, so that's like would be next week or next week or next year August. Uh, those are things that I'm preparing for myself. It's, it's been fun chatting to you, man. I think I've taken up enough of your time. I know you're a busy man, but is there anything you want to plug and where can the people find you before we go? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, on, I'm on Instagram, Drew Sullivan 8. Um, and then if uh, anyone is in the, the Leicestershire area that are thinking about doing Jiu-Jitsu, you can get in contact with me either through my Instagram or to go to my website, drewjitsurga.com. So D-R-E-W-J-I-T-S-U-R-V-A.com. Very cool, man. Thank you, for t- thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it. You're a legend. <laughs> Cheers, man. <laughs> oh, we're bringing the noise. It ain't a choice. I just follow the voices. My mind is a void, and I couldn't avoid it. I may be a sinner, surrounded by killers. When you see me, you see one or two faces. Be a little more gracious. I fuck with the haters, I fuck with the skaters. I got it in paper. I'ma tell y'all a secret. All of 